Moabite woman meets a Jewish man. This is interesting, Ruth and Boaz. We'll talk about this story and much more coming up. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. What does this mean? We'll find out a little bit later on. Corey and Ryan are here to tell us what they are doing. Corey, what are you doing? Well, we see our figures here in the Book of Ruth engaged in some day-to-day activities like harvesting grain. So we're going to be focusing in on that kind of ancient technology today. Ryan? Well, today I'm focused on the genealogy in Ruth chapter 4. It's not just there haphazardly, but for a very important reason. Yeah, that's really something. It's going to be very good as we study this book. And Janice, what did you do? Today, my segment's called Personal Choice. All right, very good. So we're talking about Ruth. We're talking about Boaz. I am in just a few minutes here. Open up the book. That is the world's best-selling book. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. Open up that book and listen to what God is saying. Ruth 4, verses 1 through 10. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilian's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10.
The book of Ruth, chapter one, two, three, and four. We continue to read through the Bible in one year. It's very exciting. In its ancient context, Ruth is a story of love and devotion. Now it takes place during the time of the judges. That's when God selected individuals to lead his people before Israel set a king over them. It is here that we meet Ruth. She was a Moabite widow who discovered a new God uniquely. She married an Israelite man, the son of a couple who had left the promised land in a time of famine to go to Moab in order to avoid the terrible trouble that would come from famine and starvation. But Ruth's husband and her husband's brother and her father-in-law died. And that left Ruth and her sister-in-law, Orpah, and their mother-in-law, Naomi, alone and on their own. Naomi was urging the two daughters-in-law to go back home to their families because her plan was to return home. But Ruth would not. She was dedicated to Naomi, her new mother-in-law. What a fascinating story. Now, many people uh, who are, I should say, ultra-traditionalist don't particularly appreciate the book of Ruth. But we need to consider because God is good and he's speaking. Here again, another woman, a couple of women in the Old Testament. And God is speaking through. And nevertheless, it's a Moabite woman who ends up, of course, her children in the line of Christ in the tribe uh, of Judah. It's very fascinating. Anyway, love and devotion. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage and uh, we need to remind, remind people that you can call us or write us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get a hold of a Bible guide. You click on it, go to the page there, and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And then it'll take you to a page you can download it as it's actually printed. And you can follow us. You're seconds away, actually. Ruth is a fascinating chapter, I'll tell you. It's a fascinating read. And... As we think about this, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we pray today, as we look at the book of Ruth, that you would help us to see your love. Help us to see who you are. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's go to the scripture because it's fascinating. Here we go. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate. Boaz was the man who Ruth had followed in the fields and all of that back in Bethlehem. Now Boaz went, went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. He was wanting to redeem Ruth, and what happened was there was somebody closer. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, and sit down here. So he came aside, and he sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to Abimelech or Emelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you, he said, and then I will redeem it. That's amazing. Do you see what's happening here? Boaz is being fair with people. Boaz put in place all of the legal requirements for the purchase of the land. 
Beloved, we also should be fair and honest with everyone today in our jobs, in our work, and every we, we need to be fair and we need to be honest, regardless of what the government says, regardless of what people say, regardless of what the culture says. We need to be fair. We need to be honest with people. We need to tell the truth. We need to do those things because that's what God commands. Very important. We need to do that. That's what Boaz did because he wanted to redeem Ruth and take her on as a wife because Ruth had proposed to him. That's in the previous chapters. And it's important for us to hear this because this is what God desires of us. Boaz was a great man, by the way. He was excellent. Okay. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the woman of the dead, to perpetuate the name of her dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, wait a minute, I can't redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it. My right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. This is amazing. The first redeemer refuses to redeem the lamb when he hears that Ruth is involved. Uh, This is important. God has a way of keeping things in his order when we obey his law. I need us to remember that when we do things God's way, he has a way of keeping things straight for us. I don't know how. God knows how. He knows better than any of us. That's for sure. But when we honor God with our life, he will honor us through our life. When we honor God with our life, he will honor us through our life. Very important. (laughs) It's very important. Okay. Let's read the last part of this because this gets interesting now. Now, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought what was all the, excuse me, all that is Amalek's and all that was Kilion and Mahalan from this, from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahalan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day in front of all these people. Now, Boaz, the good man, becomes Ruth's redeemer as God planned. You see, we must follow God's plans to do the things the right way in our lives. God has plans to do things. He has ways that uh, he makes that he, he, he makes us go through that seem it's too much work for us. But when we do it his way, people see the hand of God moving and how he moves all around us. And God shows who he is. It's not important that we have to show who we are, but God shows us who he is. When we do things his way, he shows himself. And that's exactly what God has called us to do, to show himself through us. Again, 
when we give God our life, he is faithful through our lives to teach people. Beloved, we need to remember that. Again, this is getting attention off of ourselves and getting attention on the Lord. We need to remember, obey God with your life and he will show himself through your life. That's very, very important. Beloved. Keep that in your heart and keep that in your mind as we learn from the amazing and stunning book of Ruth who ends up in the line of Christ. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today we read the amazing book of Ruth. And as I mentioned on the top of the program, I'm looking specifically at the last chapter, which is chapter 4. And the way it ends is very, very significant. Yes, it's a genealogy, a genealogy that leads to King David. But I believe that there's a deeper reason why this genealogy is here. It's very, very important. Take a look. Although King David was considered a standard by which all other Israelite kings were measured, there has been some question surrounding the legitimacy of his right to rule. This stems from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2, which clearly states that one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. David, of course, was the descendant of Perez, who was the illegitimate child of Judah and Tamar. So this family line, according to the Mosaic law, was disqualified from entering the assembly of the Lord until the 10th generation. While the assembly of the Lord often refers to the Jewish people as a whole, in the context of Deuteronomy 23, it appears to be referring to any leadership role in either the government or in corporate worship. Hence, Judah's line up until the 10th generation would be disqualified from entering into any leadership roles involving either church or state. Because some count David as only a ninth-generation descendant of Perez, they maintain that biblically he should have been disqualified from the kingship. And critics who deny that the scriptures are divinely inspired claim that this is an error since the Bible seemingly overlooks and contradicts itself regarding this particular law. However, the Bible does nothing of the sort. Far from overlooking this law, the Bible actually seems to acknowledge and celebrate David as the very fulfillment of it. This is seen in the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth, who was a foreigner, married a Jewish man named Boaz, and at their wedding celebration, a toast was proclaimed. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. To those familiar with the unfortunate and disgraceful episode of Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38, this remark seems more like a curse than a blessing. So what's going on here? Could it be that this declaration in Ruth chapter 4 verse 12 was both acknowledging that the law in Deuteronomy 23 was still in effect, but also looking forward to that tenth generation when the seed of Judah could finally serve in public office? Significantly, that tenth generation from Perez was none other than David. And to emphasize this, the book closes with David's genealogy. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. 
Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. As the Bible shows, David is counted as the tenth generation, not the ninth as critics suppose. The discrepancy comes because critics do not count Perez as a generation, whereas the Bible does. Thus it was perfectly legal for David to occupy the throne. The scepter had finally and rightfully come to Judah, just as Jacob proclaimed in Genesis chapter 49. So as we see, David wasn't the ninth generation, but the tenth, which means he was the first legitimate generation that could serve in public office. Deuteronomy 23.2 had been satisfied, and now the scepter of Judah had been established. And we see this reflected in the genealogies in Ruth chapter 4, and also Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament. David was legitimate, and Jesus was a descendant of David, though Jesus was also David's Lord, because... He was both the Son of Man and the Son of God. You know, this is fascinating, Ryan. Uh, you know, these numbers and everything and all that comes together, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your report. I really, really appreciate it. Corey. All right. Well, today we are taking a look at the ancient practice of harvesting grains because we see Ruth, when, when her and Naomi come back into the promised land, uh, they, you know, Ruth has to glean uh, when the harvesters are harvesting the field. So I want to take a look at what that would have looked like. What was the process of harvesting grain in ancient Israel? What was the process of gleaning? Take a look. In the Bible, harvest time is referenced both as an actual practice and as a useful metaphor. Ancient Israel was an agricultural society. Their very survival depended on farming innovations and consistency. So when the time of reaping their produce came, it was an occasion for great celebration and joy as much as for hard work. The production of cereal grains has been called the backbone of ancient Israelite society and was largely composed of wheat and barley. Let's look at the wheat harvest as a model of harvesting and threshing. The wheat harvest took place during the summer and could overlap with the beginning of the grape harvest, making it a very busy and happy time of year. The reaping of wheat came first and could be done by hand or sickle, if by hand the entire plant would be pulled up from the roots. To reap large fields of wheat, whole teams of people would normally be employed. A foreman would oversee the work, and reapers would make their way through the fields armed with sickles of flint or metal, cutting the stalks either halfway, leaving some of the plants still standing as straw for animals to eat or for collection for different use. Wheat stalks could also be cut closer to the head of grain to minimize the work of winnowing later on. After the reapers would come teams of young men and women who would organize the cut stalks into piles and tie them into bundles called sheaves. Once the reaping was completed, the sheaves would be carried to the threshing floor. The location of threshing floors would likely have varied from area to area as they needed to be in windy locations. Here, the stalks of wheat were turned into three products of varying worth, grain, straw, and chaff. The first step of processing the wheat was to cut the plant up to separate the valuable grain seeds from the plant stalks. This could be done by threshing stick, animal, threshing sledge, or threshing wheel. 
Threshing sticks wielded by harvesters would be used to beat smaller amounts of grain, maybe even for a quick meal or on products that had smaller seeds. Animals like oxen, with or without metal shoes, could be driven over the plants to crush them into pieces. Effective threshing sledges were also drawn by animals. They were boards inlaid with sharp stones and metal to chop the plants. And threshing wheels were carts made with rows of stone and metal inlaid wheels to accomplish the same. The chopped up wheat was then winnowed. Using wooden fork-like shovels, harvesters would throw the mixture high into the air to catch the wind. The different weights of the products meant that the wind would carry them different distances. The light and nearly useless chaff would be carried the farthest, the straw would fall closer to the harvester, and the valuable heavy grain would fall closest to them. The grain would be tossed up for another chance at blowing away remaining chaff, and then passed through a few sieves before being measured for taxation and stored for human consumption. It's always really interesting to see how ancient people uh, went through these routines of life because they do show up in the scripture. So it helps us understand the human element here of the book of Ruth, you know, about this time period of harvesting and, and threshing and what that would have looked like. And then insert Ruth and her unique situation uh, to, to that whole process. It's just a different way of looking at the scripture from more of a human element. And I I love that kind of thing. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, because you begin to see how people react and how people mm -hmm. respond and what they do. So that's really, really good. Janice? Well, in, in keeping with that line, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about real people, mm -hmm. real situations. This isn't a book of, full of myths. These are real instances and, and real people with real emotions in real life. And we're still real people, aren't we, in a real life, living in a time, especially now it seems, where there's just so much information coming at us from all directions. And today I, I titled my segment Personal Choice. And you know, we do have personal choices that we have to make. Now something that my father-in-law used to say a lot was that God has no grandchildren. And when I first heard him say that, I wondered what that meant. And when I thought about it, it just simply means that every single one of us needs to make a decision about what we believe of who God is. We learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and the claims that he made and the claims that we sit here and make. And you and me have to make a choice. Is God who he says he is or not? There's no sitting in the middle. And our personal choice makes a difference. When I was reading through the story of Ruth this time, there's so much richness in this story, so much dimension, so many cultural things that we can learn that adds a, a, a richness to it and a fullness to it. But as I looked at it, just sort of uh, as, a, as a very easy first read, I see this, these three women, actually, that are left. They've all been widowed. Uh, Naomi has left her land to come to Moab, and her sons married two Moabite women. And now they have all been left widowed. And Naomi wants to go back now. She wants to go back to where she came from. She knows that these two women could still remarry and have families 
And so she begins to try to encourage them to go back to their families. Go back. I even if even if I had sons now, she said, you know, by the time they grow up, she was just trying everything in her power to make a life, make a good life for her daughter. She thought she had been cursed with everything that had happened to her. She couldn't see the plan that God had for her. And you know, after after a while of convincing and convincing, the one daughter-in-law, Orpah, decided, you know what, she's making a good point. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to start my life again. We don't hear about Orpah again, but we see Ruth and she literally clung onto Naomi and she said, no, I'm going to go with you. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful testimony of of Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law really introduced her to the living God. And, and of course, we know the story. I'm talking and talking. What is my point? Ruth made a personal decision. It seemed like the wise decision for her own life would be to go back to her family, to the things that she grew up with, those things that were familiar to her, to a family that would welcome her. But she chose to go with Naomi. She chose to trust in Naomi's God and go back. And what God had planned for her and Naomi both would far, far advance, go beyond what they could have ever dreamed. And that's what I would say to you today. Are you sitting there considering who Jesus Christ is? Are you considering staying where you think it could be safer? You're watching things happen in our world right now that just topsy-turvy, and you're not sure. I would suggest that you come to the Lord today and ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And if you mean it with all of your heart, He will come in, because He has a plan and a purpose for you. And it goes far beyond what you could have ever dreamed of for yourself. Book of Ruth is amazing, and we've studied that. Remember that we have a prayer meeting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, as we go to that prayer meeting at 3.30 New York time or Eastern time in America, stay with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery Live. We'll pray for your needs. Today, we need to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, teach me and help me to do things your way, not my way. In the name of Jesus Christ, 